0: You're listening to Asbury University's Chapel Podcast, recorded live from our campus in Wilmore, Kentucky. Asbury's Chapel Service hosts speakers from around the world to inspire academic excellence and spiritual vitality. We hope you enjoy today's message. Well, good evening. Good evening? Yeah.
1: And good evening.
0: Thanks for being with us tonight, and thanks for being so faithful to come out this week and make time in your busy schedules. I know... That's a big sacrifice and so we're grateful for that. We wanted tonight to just be a little bit different. Um, you've heard us a couple of times now and it's easy to think in weeks like this, like they have it all together and we are more than we were, <laughs> but we're still learning too. And so we wanted to kind of invite you into, ideally this would be around like a, a fire with a coffee and a living room conversation where you get to know us a little bit more and we get to share a little bit of our stories because again, it's easy to think, oh, well, those are the people on the stage and that's for them, but they don't know me and I can't really relate to them. And so we wanna take this time for you to get to know us a little bit and share our stories and our journey um, with Jesus and how we've kind of become the people that we are. But then also talk about like, what are those things that we've believed about holiness that may or may not be true? and kind of debunk some of the myths and lies around what is holiness, what is it not? Um, Because my guess is if if we believe that, probably some of you here have believed that as well. And so we just wanna spend tonight, you getting to know us and again, we're here all the rest of the week, I live here. So we would love to have coffee and continue this conversation. And I remember weeks like, we used to call this Holiness Emphasis Week when we were students. That was when you were, yeah. And I remember thinking, okay, by the end of the week, I'm going to have this all figured out. (laughs) You're not going to, right? This is yet another seed, another watering of that seed in a lifetime of learning and growing. And here's the beautiful thing. Like, we're never going to come to the end of knowing God because if we did, he would be too small. And so this is a lifetime of learning, a lifetime of growing, a lifetime of walking. Um, So if you don't have this all figured out by the end of the week, like, you're OK. <laughs> um, so just rest in that and continue the conversation. You have great people like Greg and Sarah and professors who are here and, and staff who would love to continue these conversations with you and journey with you. So I just invite you to that. Like That's the beauty of living in a residential community is that we actually get to do this life together. And iron sharpens iron. And the questions that I have, I can go to other people and wrestle together. So that's just free. So anything as we start?
1: You nailed it. <laughs>
0: awesome. <laughs> Well, my name is Jeannie and I am third generation Asburyan. My grandmother went here, my parents went here, my brothers went here, both of my brothers married women named Sarah from here. Like I am, I didn't, yeah. We are like, we are Asbury. And that is very true. Like my family, this place has meant so much to my family. My family is different. My family line has actually changed because of what God did here at Asbury. And I'm so grateful for that. And I grew up in a small town in Georgia. Actually, James Ballard and I grew up in the same place. Um, and my family and my church, we were very conservative, holiness people, and which is awesome and beautiful. But what I interpreted that as is, I'm not allowed to do anything fun. Like we didn't go to the movies. We didn't dance. We didn't. Do anything on Sundays, but go to church. And those are actually really beautiful things. But again, the way that I heard it and interpreted it is we can't have fun. So we were different, but not, and we were distinguished, but not in a way that I thought was fun. And every, every morning at, in the, at, the dinner table, at the breakfast table, we read scripture together. Every night until I went to college, we had devotions as a family. So my family was devoted to me knowing who God was. And I loved that until I didn't. And I remember we went to church camp. We, we spent 20 days at church camp, holiness camp. And again, it's like, this is good, but this isn't really fun. Like, this is just a bunch of things that I'm not allowed to do. And I remember going into middle school, and I don't know if— you have done this at church camp but like every year i'm at the altar like getting saved again and again and again i've been to camp and like that's your story yeah thank you um because i knew like i wasn't living a full life but i didn't know how to actually not sin and so like i knew god i knew he loved me and i knew that i couldn't stop doing what i was doing and so every year at camp, it's like, okay, I gotta get resaved. I gotta get resaved. I gotta get resaved because there must be something so wrong with me that this doesn't stick. And so I began, began to kind of become bitter. I'm like, okay, well, like if God's supposed to give freedom, this year doesn't feel like freedom or like three days of freedom or two weeks. And if it's a really good year, maybe three months. But like, I can't even make it from like July to July. And I knew that there was something missing, but I didn't, we, again, I, you heard this morning, like we didn't talk about the Holy Spirit. Um, because you can 't control the Holy Spirit and you just don 't know what 's going to happen with the Holy Spirit, so you don 't talk about the Holy Spirit and so it really was a again they didn 't mean to do this, but the way I perceived it was you just have to be perfect and make yourself better and not sin great doesn 't work and then, in my life, things happened in things that I had no control over, and I became angry, but in my household and in my church. We weren't really allowed to be angry. You can be upset, you can be frustrated, but Christians don't get angry. So then all of a sudden I was angry and I wasn't allowed to be angry and I didn't know how to express anger, so I just internalized it. And instead of like going to people and talking about what happened and I'm talking about how I was feeling, I was like, oh, I just have to make myself be okay and hide all of my emotions which is problematic and is still problematic in my life as I learned to be expressive in my emotions. And so I became hard-hearted, we talked about this this morning, and, but I perfected my performance. So I was angry, I was bitter, I was resentful towards the church, towards God, towards people, but you would have never known it. Because I'm like, if I feel all this, then the best thing for me to do, for people not to know what's actually happening in my heart, is that perfect performance. So in high school, um, I was in the youth choir. I led Sunday school for the five-year-olds. Like That's like sanctification right there, right? But I didn't like Jesus. Like That's problematic. So um, I was a leader in the youth group. I led small group all the while not even liking Jesus because I was angry about what had happened. And I began to fill my life with other things other than him. But again, I couldn't tell anyone. So it was all done in secret. So I had this entire life that was fake, and an entire life that was performance, and the two were incongruent, and that's a terrible way to live. It's miserable. you some of you probably have been there. Like, you're exhausted, you're tired, and you don't remember what other people know, so you just live a lie, and you're, you're so convinced of this lie that you've told, like, you've lived, you don't even know who you are yourself, and it was time to come to college, and our family rule, because we're Asbarians. That sounded bad. We're Asbarians, but in that moment, that's how I felt, um, is you had to go to Asbury your first year. And I came kicking and screaming, and I told my RA the first day, like, you don't need to get to know me. I'm not going to be here very long. Because I was determined to flunk out or get kicked out by Christmas. I did a pretty good job on almost getting flunked out. <laughs> my GPO was terrible. But when I was here, my friends began to write a different story about who God was to me. That's what we talked about like yesterday. Like, your friends matter? They began to love me. They begin to share stories that weren't perfect, but how God met them in their imperfections. I'm like, I don't know that God. I don't know that God. Like we're supposed to be perfect and you just said you weren't perfect, but God met you in that. Like, I don't know that. But throughout my freshman year, the love of God kept pursuing me through my friends. And I don't know about you, but you kind of like, I was at this point where I'm like, okay, God, I don't know if you can do anything with my life. But if you actually can, it's yours because I've done a terrible job with my own life. Nothing has fulfilled it. I'm miserable. I know my own brokenness. And if you actually do want this, which is what people are saying that you do, fine. Like it wasn't even like a spiritual moment. It was literally just that. Like if you want this, fine. And he did a lot with my fine. And it wasn't like a, I wish it was like an instantaneous, like all of a sudden, like I had joy and peace and all of my sins were gone. And, and all, um, my sins were gone. Um, <laughs> let me see. But all of my temptation was gone and all of the things that I was doing was gone and my brokenness was gone and my woundedness was gone and my trauma was gone. It wasn't. But that, what we talked about on, on Monday, I don't even know what today is, Monday night, like it's been the long obedience in the same direction. And so from that moment, came a lot of wrestling, a lot of conversations, a lot of repentance, a lot of counseling, a lot of healing, conversations I didn't want to have, a lot of bringing into the light things that I never had and never wanted to. But it's amazing what God can do in those moments. Like when things are brought into the light, when you speak things into existence that have already been true, you've given him permission to heal those places. And so I I walked, um, the rest of my time here at Asbury, very wobbly. And then we went to the mission field. (laughs) It's a great place to learn how to walk. Um, But surrounded by people who were walking hard after Jesus and loving Jesus. And again, all your problems don't go away when you go to the mission field. Um, You carry them with you. And so God continued to refine my life and my heart and continue to heal those broken places and continue to bring me in. Into community where I was known by him and by other people. And again, this has been a journey. Like things, God has healed some things miraculously. We can talk about that later. But moreover, it's day by day, moment by moment, slowly by slowly, trusting him.
1: Thanks, Jeannie. Um, I always get mixed emotions when I share about my story because there's certain elements. Maybe like you, you kind of. There's different versions you share. It's all the same story, but me unpack different parts. And there's parts that I haven't shared with my kids yet. And so um, when they show up on Friday, maybe like the first time you see them, be like, "Hey, I heard your dad." You know, maybe don't go with that right away. I'd appreciate that. But um, I am a first century, first century, Generation. and first century as bearing at the same time. So. You can tell we really script this one up. So, my parents didn't come to Asbury. I had heard about it, but I didn't really know much about it. grew up in a great family. Um, Jeannie and I are pretty opposite. I'm from New Jersey. Sometimes I call me Jersey Jesus when I get a little too stern, or, you know, he's the one that like makes the whip, flips the table, gets a little angry sometimes, a little direct. Yeah. So, uh, I'm from the north, she's from the south, and uh, just a different culture. And uh, but we did have church. We did. I did grow up hearing the word preached and all that stuff, and was really grateful for a mom and dad who modeled it for me, loved me, had me Christian school. They taught in public schools and Christian, and back and forth. I was in church all the time, and I accepted Jesus at a really young age, which I was thankful for, but didn't really like necessarily become real or anything like that. And so, wasn't it really upset or opposed. Just kind of like okay. But I do remember this as a young kid. My parents, they told me this story. I I, I probably blocked out the memory. When I was five years old, I don't know if anybody did this, their parents did this trick, but they were trying to discipline me for something. And so they gave me, I was five, so I had a timeout for five minutes. And so I was supposed to sit in my chair for five minutes. I mean, not eternity, but when you're five, you know, everything's a drama and whatever. So they sit me down and immediately I get up and walk out right behind them down the hallway. Well, now this, I don't know your household works, but in ours that escalates from just like a misdemeanor to, you know, DEFCON 5. We skip a bunch of steps. And so that's now direct disobedience. And so now there's like a spank with a wooden spoon involved and it's, you know, mom and dad are like, John, just sit here for five minutes. My mom and dad are super calm. They're not angry. Little swat, I sit, tears come out. you think that would do it. Oh no, I get up, I walk back. We repeat this process for two hours. I remember that part. The part I don't remember is afterwards, my parents, they went in the hallway, they said, and they were just like, dear God, let him use his powers for good and not evil because (laughs) if he is bad, he is gonna be all bad. And what it taught me, though, was stubbornness given to God is steadfastness. It's the word picture in the Old Testament it's for steadfast. It's an image, you maybe see those posters of leadership where, like, there's the lighthouse getting hit by the wave, right, or something like that. It's that when things, everything else is going crazy, Jesus makes you steadfast. And you're just strong in him and things break around you. So I had no idea how that <laughs> stubbornness given to Jesus was going to take shape. So fast forward into high school. I said yes to Jesus uh, you know, multiple times, youth group and school and conferences and all that stuff. And I was at... Um, our camp meeting, which is not nearly as cool as Indian Springs, Delanco Camp, I love it, but it is a dirt hole. You will cry out to God one way or the other, okay? It's just like one of those things, and so they wear you down by the end of the week, but there was this crazy professor from Asbury College there named Roy Lauder. I don't know if you know Prof. Lauder, but he's from eastern Kentucky, doesn't exactly match New Jersey and our mafia scene and all that, but for some reason he fit in. And he came and he preached on holiness. And I'd heard a lot about salvation. I probably heard about holiness, but no one ever connected the dots for me like him. And he talked about like this man this giving your whole heart to Jesus, him changing your nature, changing who you, you know, your desires, all the things. And then he ended it with, he connected the dots of that to, are you willing to go anywhere and do anything? and I was 17 years old, and I don't know, something just like struck a chord in me where I think, you know, it was kind of like that treadmill deal. I felt like, yeah, I love Jesus, but I was like playing this game I couldn't win. Like everybody was just like, yeah, you're just going to mess up every day, don't have too high expectations, but at least there's grace and Jesus forgives you. And I was like, that doesn't feel like winning to me. I hate treadmill. Sorry, all treadmill users, I know they're great workout in the wintertime and all that stuff, but it just felt like, I was playing a game I couldn't win, and I couldn't stand that. I was like, that doesn't sound like good news. And when he talked, I just, it just clicked. And I had some misnomers. I thought, like, this is the ticket. All right. You know, temptation, adios. This is going to be it. Smooth sailing from here. I'm going to know God's plan for my life, and it's going to be great. And there was elements of it. It was really great. I had no idea. If you ever pray that prayer, Jesus, I'm willing to go anywhere and do anything— It's not a joke, okay? He takes it really serious. But the part that I had no idea that it was going to hit was that senior year. Again, I told you my mom and dad were great. Just out of the craziness of my dad's own just junk and stuff and things that he thought he had dealt with and he hadn't. Parents were both teachers. I come home from school one day. My mom's sitting on the couch. My sister's sitting on the couch. That's not a normal thing. I could see the tears in their eyes. And they said, we have to tell you something about your dad. He's in jail. Like, not a speeding ticket, not a car accident, jail. I'm like, what? Like, I said, he has abused uh, a student at school, is being accused of that. And all of a sudden, it was just like the total world flipped upside down. All of a sudden, he's on the news uh, friends that you thought were friends aren't looking at you no one's making eye contact in school you ever had that moment where you're walking down the hall and it's like really really noisy until you walk by and then it's silent it was, it was painful it was weird I had frustration, I had anger but like I guess uh, I don't know if this makes me a guy or just makes me messed up or just makes me whatever but I like sucked it up right and I like started quoting like verses in my head, like, okay, you will seek me and find me, you seek me with all your heart, and stuff like this, and like it's true. And I just like powered through it. Stepped up, 17, it's like my mom's like in shambles, my sister. It's like all of a sudden I went from being a kid to like, okay, leader, go. Turns out that does some damage <laughs> when you just kind of skip a few steps there. <laughs> So long story short, my dad, my whole senior year, I had one friend who visited my dad in the local jail with me every single Sunday. I hated it, guys. Bright orange suits, feeling dirty. I was judgmental. I was like, I'm not, I'm not like, what am I doing? I'm not these, but I just kept walking. But, you know, I thought that was going to bring me freedom from never making mistakes again. And that wasn't true. I still made mistakes with my girlfriend. I still was lustful. I still got frustrated. I still almost punched a guy during basketball practice. But I just kept walking. Jesus kept showing up. And his spirit kept wooing me. And he would point out things, and I would just keep giving. And he loved me through that hard season. And my dad got out a year later, but it was one of these dark clouds that I just watched. My dad, who was this incredible, you know, godly man, and he still was, but it just kind of, imagine that your worst thing always being brought back up over and over again till the day you die. And you can't talk about it with anybody. So literally until he died a couple years ago, it's like he had to come visit us. And when he did, I had to go take my dad to visit the local sheriff to check in. Like, that's just hard, right? But yet Jesus' grace kept, like, I don't know. It didn't make me angry at him. But I, I had to learn to kind of walk in that and through that and love him. But it just created a hole in my heart for, man, I look up to my dad and he's not there. And then I came to Asbury and it was great. I'm like 12 hours away. Like I have all this freedom. It is great. Um, fast forward, I was, you know, education major, all that kind of stuff. And I was getting ready to graduate. I had a job here in the admissions office and I had a great experience. I'd done multiple mission trips. I was involved with the WGM student center and, uh, you know, I did the Asbury thing, right? I came out engaged right? That's what you're supposed to do. And so, um, all ready to get engaged. Another Asbury family. This is all great on paper, you know, fantastic. So we were a month out from uh, being married. We were back in New Jersey for an engagement party. And that morning, it was a December morning, not a good time to go out to the Jersey shore, but there I was out there having my quiet time with Jesus on the on the rocks, on the jetty, we call it. And guys, I'm not even kidding. I swear I heard Jesus just almost audibly say to me, you can't marry this girl. And I was like, no, she's great. And he's like, no, it's not her. It's you. You said you wanted my best. The problem is you're not her best. There's things in your life that you're, you can marry her, you're not on my will or anything like that, but you are going to hurt her and take her through all this junk with your dad that you've never dealt with. And you're going to hurt her. And I was just like, mm, no, man up, power through. This is just like a bad piece of pizza. Like I am, I am not, not going to marry her. <laughs> So we are on that, that night, we are literally driving to our engagement party at our church. And I'm like sick to my stomach. And I just blurt out, we can't get married. (laughs) Which if you're ever going to do it, that's not the way to do it. In hindsight, just going to throw that out there. And she was like, what the what? You know, (laughs) like, and again, long story short, um, man, Jesus met, our our families loved on us and everything like that, but it was obviously super, super, super painful. For her, for me, at the same time, we knew the sanctity and the, the realness of marriage that we just didn't want to cheapen it. And so I don't know if you're aware of this, but when you graduate, everyone your age, do you know where they go? exactly nobody knows they're gone i don't know what happens but the entire planet there's no one your age they're all either younger than you or like your parents age and everyone your age is gone and so you're just like i don't know what happened they were everywhere and so like you know the enemy starts shouting all these lies like see man you had it really good you could have powered through that you know you should have manned up you didn't know jesus's voice you man this holiness thing sure is working out for you great job What are you going to do now? You're just going to be alone forever. Yeah. And so, man, but in in that next season of life, Jesus started dealing with things in my heart. I was a scorekeeper. I still can be. You know, like, hey, I, I read all the books. I did my five things, you know. And then she's supposed to do her five things. That's not love. That's not unconditional love. I don't know what that's messed up. And he taught me, man, there were some some of my views of marriage, of women, of leadership, of him. Man, it was all just, gimme, 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 gimme. What can I get out of this? Man, that's not holy love. The point is, I kept staying connected. And the most freeing thing I remember is that it wasn't about perfect love and the theology of that and Trinitarian this and all that. And I love all that stuff. It was about that if you just stay connected to Jesus, he will show you perfection it means he's making you whole. He's making you complete. And he's going to refine and walk you through all these areas if you just keep letting him in. And you get more and more sensitive to the spirits nudges and you respond faster and faster. And so about a year and a half later, I met uh, my wife, Erica. She was, I was an admissions counselor. This is a a fun story that I don't think, I think HR uses as an example of what not to do now. Um, And so, sorry, Dr. Brown, but that's why that policy is there. So she brought her brother on a college visit. And once you see Erica, you'll know which one I recruited, obviously. And so a month later or so I call her up. I have to get her number from her brother. I wish I was making this stuff up, guys, but and I just he said, Oh, why do you need her number? And I was like, uh and I whimped out so bad, I won't even lie. I said, I need to ask her a question about church. <laughs> What a lame answer and so <laughs> i I Jesus juked your brother, and so <laughs> and then I said, and I started back, but, like, never mind, never mind, never mind, she doesn't even remember who I am, and uh, he says, Oh no, she remembers who you are i 'm not even lying. I was in the apartments over here behind Greg's office right now, and I started jumping up and down like rocky in my apartment like this, and so um Anyway, a bunch of things happened our first date. I said just so you know moving to africa She said i'm never leaving louisville, kentucky. I said we should get married. She said, okay and so a few things happened in between and so we uh <laughs> lived in uganda We worked on the a-team there in arua uganda. We did all kinds of foolish things that jesus somehow kept us Alive and blessed ministry and churches were planted and I, I don't know what they were thinking and uh, then came back, and again, it looks like a, such a straight line now, but we came back, and we were, we were pregnant, we were homeless, we were jobless. And I was like, thanks a lot, Jesus. Uh, just served you overseas, kind of thought you might like, reciprocate a little bit, you know. And uh, again, still working through junk. And, but during that season, again, just went deeper and left learning, leaning into him. And uh, then I ended up working at another church there, and then in Chicago, And now I'm back with WGM. So fast forward a little bit. But the best advice I think I ever got was from another missionary. I was telling James about it and a couple others. And I was trying to think, how do you describe what it means to to live a holy life, a sanctified life? And Terry Duncan, another Asbury guy, he just said, John, just listen to Jesus and do what he says. And I was like, (laughs) Like, and then he just walked away, right? Just blew my mind. So, so yeah, one of the myths you want to do first myth? First myth for me was really that myth. I kind of mentioned a little bit. I just thought, like, hey, once I accept like this sanctification moment, Holy Spirit fills me, like all my problems go away. Temptation, adios, you know, lustfulness or pride or anger. Turns out that's not exactly true. It's more of like a filtration process, like (laughs) that. It's like when it comes up, the spirit checks you and goes, "Hey, you need to apologize for that," or "Hey, you need to put not just more safeguards in place. You need to have your desire changed, what you crave, what you love, what you desire." And so for me, that was a a massive one because I kind of thought, like, you know, this is this is the golden ticket. And I just that's not exactly how it works. Um, so I don't know if you ever had that one or not, but maybe you want to do another myth. but: <laughs> no.
0: I think so oftentimes, in my life, I felt like my life was just going to be continually like beating my head against the wall, right? Like you don't ever really make progress, but you just kind of keep spinning like on the treadmill. you 're not really going anywhere, but you just keep walking. And yeah, I remember I don't know I don't think I felt that that, that quickly. But I remember the first time I, I did experience victory, like, that will change you. Like, and like we talked about freedom begets freedom. Victory begets freedom. Uh, victory begets more victory. And so, like, once you taste a little bit, you want more. Mm-hmm. And again, that's the whole appetite. Like, your appetite begins to change. Your desires begin to change. Um, I have a dog, Sadie, and I bought her some new treats the other day. And I put them, like, in a new spot. And all day long, she would do whatever she could to remind me that those treats were there. I mean, like, she had one thing on the brain. And I laughed because, I mean, all day she would just walk and look at me and and look at me. But it's like, man, I want to have that singular focus. And that's what God can give us. Like, yeah, our temptations don't just go away, but temptation is not sin. When we, when we feel tempted, we bring it into God, we bring it into community, and he begins to shape us. He begins to shape our desires, shape our hearts, and we can have that singular focus in mind. And again, once you start seeing victory, you want more of it. And the Spirit refines that and like, like, um, unleashes more victory in your life.
1: Yeah, and the Word says, right, that... It's if you sin, not when you sin. I remember reading that. and It just changed like, man, yeah, don't put sin on the calendar. Don't plan it out. (laughs) That's messed up. That's that's cheap grace, right? But, man, if you mess up, yeah, there's grace. Guys, I've messed up so many times. That's not my desire. It's not my goal. And then you get back up. You keep walking. Steadfastness. Just keep walking. Going, he keeps loving you and building those spiritual muscles, and it gets better. And he brings victory.
0: Another lie that we are tempted, and I was tempted to believe for a long time, is that um, holiness was not for me. And we talked. I talked a little about a little bit about that this morning, but and this is connected to some of what we talked about about those identity pieces. But because of my story and because of the things that I had done and had been done to me, like. I believe the lie, like, I'm not worth being holy. Like, I'm not worth being loved. I'm not good enough. And so, those lies complicated my ability to see that God's invitation to a holy life was for me. Like, when I talked about exceptions, like, anything that God invited me into, I had justification for why I was the exception. I'm just not that special. (laughs) Like, I'm, I'm not special enough to be the exception to his love. Like He loves me. He cares about me. And everything that he's promised in the Bible is for me, too. And that took a lot of refining in my own heart through, like I said, counseling, healing sessions, the Holy Spirit revealing to me that this was actually true for me. Um, but I think so oftentimes we, we believe in that, yeah, that can be true for John. That can be true for Greg or Sarah or Dr. Brown. But me? Like, I know my story. And I think sometimes we're so self-focused on ourselves, we can't get beyond ourselves to see what God is actually wanting to do and inviting us to do, inviting us into in our own lives.
1: I had the other problem. I was like, oh yeah, I'm the exception to every rule. You know, like I was super prideful, still can be, and I can justify all my actions, you know, and obviously that's that's not Christ-like either. And so the pendulum can go either way. And the enemy is so crafty to, no matter what your story is, to hit on those weaknesses, to hit on those, those push those buttons and get you to second guess yourself and not listen to Jesus, not in a, be a posture to receive and, uh, and move forward. Uh, another one I know for me, and I think for Jeannie too, was we felt like holiness was for old people. <laughs> We're like, yeah, so when I grow up someday, that's something like, you know. But right now, it's time to have fun, right? It's time, I mean, holiness and fun don't go together, right? Myth. It's supposed to be the most life-giving, you know, Psalm 16, 11. In my presence is fullness of joy. Not just happiness that's temporal. Man, joy is a posture. It doesn't mean like every day you're like, oh, something terrible happened, joy. You know, It's but you can see how God is working. There's a joyful disposition. It's life-giving. So it doesn't mean that, you know, my walk from, you know, when I left Asbury to now hasn't been a sequence of just easy events. But it's him walking with me. I'm walking with him. Not just me at the center of the universe. And so it wasn't just, and actually looking at older folks is a huge help because I saw men and women who didn't always knock it out of the park with Jesus, but man, they were models of what it meant. Like, it was possible. I saw a marriage, I saw, you know, uh, a leader, I saw a business owner, I saw just great men and women, and I was like, so you're saying there's a chance, you know? So,
0: I remember it was July of 2011, so this is after my time here at Asbury. I was sitting at Indian Springs Holiness Camp meeting, and one of our preachers, Dave Ward, shared his testimony. It was the first time I'd ever heard someone actually share like pieces that were really messy. I mean, I'm sure I'd maybe heard something before, but I I didn't hear it in my heart. And the way that he portrayed what God could do in his life made, made me believe it was actually possible for me too. And when I saw what healing could look like, it changed everything that I I knew was possible. And he wasn't old. He was young, younger than the older people that I'd ever heard talk about holiness. And again, sometimes what we don't have categories for, we don't believe is possible. And so the only categories I had were like the older missionaries who came with like fanny packs, even though fanny packs are cool now, they weren't back then. And like the the buns, which are cool now, but weren't back then. Like my picture of holiness was this woman who had been living single her whole life overseas and like fasted 40 hours a day. And there's not like 40 hours a day, right? But that, that was the concept <laughs> in my head, right? Like you had to do all these things and be all these things. And it was about your profession. And like, you had to do this and be this old. And then you could claim that. But to have this person talk about holiness and his brokenness, like that unleashed something in my life that I'm like, if God can do that for him, Maybe there's a chance he could do it for me. And that started me, 2011, on a pursuit of experiencing God in a new way that I'd never kn- known before. And my friend's like, I'm a different person. Different. I still am growing. I still have a lot to learn. But I am different than I was in July of 2011. And I'm so thankful for his willingness to go first and share the mess, but how God met him in the mess and what healing is actually possible because my life, my life is completely different because he gave the gift of showing me that it was possible.
1: Yeah. And the possibility is that we know the world, there is brokenness. It is messy, but you're not just supposed to Live with the broken arm. Live with the broken, you know, whatever the hurt is or the wound that you have or that whatever that pain thing is in your story. The good news is he takes it and he doesn't leave you broken. (laughs) He doesn't leave you a mess. He doesn't leave you with this expectation like, yeah, I figured out that it's possible to be holy except for you. He says, no, as hard as it may be possible for you to fathom, We quote verses like, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in me. Yeah, he can heal your brokenness. He can heal mental, physical, whatever it may be a relationship, a past, some false expectation you have for yourself. He doesn't just leave you there. I'm not saying it's easy, but you're with him. He does the heavy lifting. That's what the whole, you know, my yoke is easy. Your burden is light. It's a word picture. It's like the older ox, the bigger animal, does like 95% lifting and brings like the younger one along. I know we don't have a lot of oxen around. Do we have a lot of oxen around one more these days? Not so much. Okay. We should look into that. Maybe a good word picture but it's he does the heavy lifting. It is possible. It's not just possible. It's the expectation. It's the way Jesus in Genesis 1 and 2 wanted us to be. It's how he created us to be. It's only in our modern context. we flipped it and been like, well, hey, Descartes said it, so I can't imagine, I can't think it, I can't prove the scientific method all the ways, and da-da-da-da, you know, it's like, no, it is possible. And so um, another myth is, It's all about those rules. You can't do this. All the stuff you are against, that's a myth too.
0: Yeah, I I shared a little bit about my, my life growing up, and that's all I knew. Like, holiness was this kind of living, and it was very much based on the things that we could do and very much so the things that we could not do. And I remember hearing a sermon one time from a person who said, you know, So often people know Christians by what they stand against, but not what they stand for. And that was a good paradigm shift for me of thinking, wow, like, yeah, I am defining my Christianity by how good I'm doing at not doing the things that I shouldn't be doing. Um, Instead of actually allowing my life to be lived in such a way that people know what I'm for. Instead of, oh, you just don't do these things when actually I really was doing them. I just wasn't telling people. So again, what are we living for? And that's some of what we talked about throughout this week of, like, love, joy, like, allowing the fruit of the Spirit to live through our lives, and that being what people know from us, not just, oh, well, you don't do this or this or that, Um, but you're living in freedom and the fact that the Spirit is breathing His life in you, and you are allowing the life of Christ to live through you.
1: Does it make sense? I can't tell if you have incredible poker faces or if you're really tracking. I think it's the second one, but I'm not 100% sure. So um, can I close with a story? Is that all right? I have a microphone and you don't, so I mean, I don't know what you're going to do. I guess because Jesus, too, can say, I'll pray, and then you close your eyes and slip out or something. But um, this was in the early 1800s. There was uh, a guy named William Borden. Maybe you've heard of his name before. But he came from a pretty uh, wealthy family in Chicago, or I live in Chicago. I call it Chicago Land, And so he had this real big debate. It was about the time, right about your guy's age, where it was like he had to choose, was he going to go to college or go to join the family business? And his parents really wanted him to do the family business. At the same time, he started feeling this call like God was stirring something in him. And he wasn't 100% sure what it was yet. But he had told Jesus... I'm willing to go anywhere and do anything. And he told his parents, and they were like, don't waste your life, please. Like, we have you set up. You are teed up to be like the CEO, the in charge of the family business. You're going to be wealthy. You can do that stuff later. But he really felt like God was calling him, maybe even to ministry, maybe even to be a missionary. And so that night he was just praying and wrestling. He wanted to honor his parents, but he also felt like God was calling him to do this thing to, to step out in bold faith and go. And so he wrote in the cover inside of his Bible there, these two words, no reserves. He didn't want to just play it safe. He didn't want to just rely on his family income. Well, a couple of weeks went by, and, he, and they kept talking and praying, and the spirit said, okay, fine, fine. You can do that ministry thing. You, you can go be a missionary maybe but you, you are going to go to college first. So he's like, okay, that's fair, makes sense. So he went off to college, and uh, he didn't wait, though, to start doing ministry until, like, someday when he went far, far away. He started evangelizing on his campus. He started loving on people, and the uh, craziest thing happened. He started leading this Bible study, and it kept growing and growing and growing. And then one night, revival kind of just... Broke out, and a thousand people came to know Jesus in a single evening. He was just blown away, and he wrote in his journal. He said, "Always follow Jesus. Always follow Jesus." Now, so many times, you may, when you have this really high point with Jesus, what happens almost inevitably pretty soon thereafter is there's like the enemy comes, or just life happens, or something, and sadly, he got a phone call, and his dad had just died. And immediately he was confronted with, what do I do? I just saw God move. He's affirming this call to to go. And at that point, he felt like Jesus was saying, be a missionary to China. But now, I don't want to leave my mom and the rest of the family in a lurch here. What do I do, Jesus? Do I take over the family business? Or do I go to China? Well, that night in his Bible, he wrote two more words. No retreat. He felt like God was telling him, I love my family so much, but I can't retreat from the call. I'm going to go. So he graduated. He sensed God calling him to move, like I said, to China. But first he had to do some training in some language school, so he went to Egypt. And he was doing his training, and he was only 25 years old, and he was hammering things out. And while he was there doing his studies, he contracted spinal meningitis, and He died. A lot of people looked at his life and his story and thought, what a waste. Guy could have had it all. Family business could have used his wealth for influence, for kingdom impact. Nothing wrong with that unless Jesus is calling you to something else. So, obviously, his mom was in tears and his family members... And when she was going back through his things, she found his Bible. And she found three phrases, not two, inside the cover of his Bible. No reserves, no retreats, no regrets. It's one of my favorite things about following Jesus. Not that you won't have issues. You will have issues. You will have troubles. But can we live in such a way where we have no reserves, no retreats, no regrets because we're saying yes to him? I think we can. I think that's what the scripture teaches.